Ephesians chapter 5. As we continue through this book, this letter to the church at Ephesus, and this letter to us in this day and time. You know, God's word is always relevant. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God. Did I turn this on? Uh, followers of God. The red light. There we go. As dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So the title of the message tonight, the character of walking, of walking with God. The character of walking with God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege we have to open thy precious word. Thank you that we have uh, your word again preserved for us and that we can study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Father, tonight as we look at the character of walking with God, what, it's, what is becoming of the Christian, of the child of God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and encourage us, challenge us, Father, and increase our faith and our growth in thee to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned last week there are five walks in the book of Ephesians, were to walk worthy, chapter 4, verse 1, were to walk not as the Gentiles walk, chapter 4, I think it's verse 17, and here in chapter 5, verse 2, we're walking in love, and then in verse 8, we're to walk as children of the light, and then in verse uh, uh, 15, we're to walk circumspectly, and the word walk, as we mentioned, means to regulate one's life, or it has to do with the conduct of one's, one's life. Um, sometimes the Bible uses the word, as, as we think along these lines, the word conversation has to do with our manner of life or the way we live. And that's really the kind of the idea. It's how we live and conduct ourselves as God's children. And there's several things I want to notice here tonight. First of all, uh, as we think about the character of walking with God or what, that, what walking with God looks like. And really, the rest of the book is dealing with this, this, this idea of what it, what it looks like to walk with God as a child of God. Uh, 
So first of all, we're to walk in love. He says in verse 1, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. So he says we're to, we ought to walk in love. Now, love is probably one of the most misunderstood words in the English language in our day and time. Uh, <clears throat> but the, the, word, the biblical word love here means, and of course it's the word gape in Greek, but it's affection, it's goodwill, it's benevolence. It's, it has the idea of a desire to do good to others. To do good to others. And this love that the, the Bible talks about here, that, or that's like God, or God-likeness, is unconditional. It's unconditional. Notice verse 1 again. He says, be ye followers of God as dear children. So we're to have the kind of love that God had. And God so loved the world that he gave. Now, what motive did he have for that? Was there some condition that predicated that that would benefit him? God's perfect. You know, he, doesn't, he doesn't need us. He just loves us. Or he wants to do good to us. So when you think about God loved us, it's because God is good and he desires to do good to us. Uh, so, therefore, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, we, in Ephesians, or not Ephesians, Matthew 5, uh, 44 through 48, Matthew 5, 44 through 48, again, the Bible is speaking about God's love for everyone. It says, uh, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father. So he says we're to be followers of God, and this is what God he says God is like, that we can be the children of our Father which is heaven, because he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So God is good, or God loves, even those that don't love him. And after all, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He goes on and says, For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans or the unsaved the same? If you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So if you only love those who who love you or do good to you, you're no different than the world. That's, that's the world's love. That's how the world views love. Well, you know, they were nice to me, so, you know, or they love me, so I'll love them. Uh, so we're to be followers of God in this love, and as Christ, he says also, and walk in love as, as Christ also hath loved us. So the Father loved us, and, and, and Christ loved us as well. And again, this is not just responsive or consensual with us, or going along with, it is proactive. In other words, he put it out there, not prompted by anything from us. I mean, he came on his own, and his own received him not. So they were in rejection of him, and yet still, he loved them. Still he loved them. You know, Isaiah 53, 12 says, he poured out his soul unto death. He poured himself out. 
as a sacrifice. And really, the word sacrifice here, part of the definition would be victim. He was a volunteer victim. He volunteered himself. And, and the Lord says that this kind of love, this, this love that he demonstrated was a sweet-smelling savor. In other words, it was well-pleasing. It was like a pleasant odor. I walked in the house, went home today, and there was this pleasant odor, and it wasn't a candle. It was coming from the oven. Uh, some kind of seasoning I put on the food, and, and it not only smelled good, but it tastes good too. Uh, you know, there was this pleasant odor. It was pleasing. And this kind of love is pleasing to God. It's a sweet-smelling savor. And, and again, God's love, God's love is governed by his holiness. I want to go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. In other words, it's established upon holiness or the righteousness of God. And, and really, biblical love is, is simply this, doing what is right to your neighbor or your friend or your acquaintance. Doing what is right. Uh, In Romans chapter 13 it says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You know, the Bible tells us the, the law is holy and the commandment holy. And, and you know, the, the commands say, it, you know, we're not to steal, we're not to kill, we're not to lie about our neighbors or covet or take desire to take, commit adultery with the neighbor's wife or whatever, so on and so forth. In other words, we're to treat your neighbor righteously or to treat him right. And, and so this is what love is. It is doing what is right. He says love is the fulfilling of the law. And, of course, this love is volunteer. It comes from within. It's the work of the Spirit. It is, de- it, is, it, is, it is not determined or caused by our surroundings or circumstances. Um, so it, it is unconditional. So we're to walk in love. Secondly, he says we're to walk in the light. If you notice in verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Now, we're to walk in the light. Now, what's it mean to walk in the light? Well, let me ask you this. When do most people do evil? When do they most often steal, murder? When a lot of that stuff is done. It's often, most often, done under some cover and darkness. And darkness. You know, Proverbs 7, 6 through 10 says, For at the window of my house I look through my casement. You hold among the simple ones discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner. He went to the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with a tire of a harlot and subtle heart. 
So when did this happen? In the darkness of night. You know, it, it, it used to be that sin was hidden more. Now, unfortunately, it's becoming more mainstream in our society as our culture continues to degenerate. But, but it used to be it was more, it was more hidden. Uh, these things that, you know, you would be ashamed to commit in broad daylight in front of anybody, anybody everybody. Well, and again, why? The conscience. Even if you're unsaved, the conscience tells you that's wrong. And, and so, he says we're to walk in the light. And we're not to be uh, living, our life should not be characterized by the things that he has listed here. And, and notice verses 3 and 4, he has a list of things that, that are not becoming or not convenient. But he says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So you know, fornication refers to a sexual sin. Uncleanness is, is lustful, uh, prolificate uh, living or reckless living, sort of like we would you compare that to the prodigal son. He just went out and lived however he wanted, you know, and spend his money and with no restraints. Uh, that's kind of the idea. Of course, covetousness is a greedy desire for more. And a, and a willingness, really the idea here is a willingness to disobey God to get it. That, you know, that, that desire for, for more becomes the controlling force in your life. That's covetousness. Uh, the controlling factor, the determining factor. And, of course, Timothy tells us in 1 Timothy 6, uh, 9 and 10, that they that will be rich. You know, there, there is a... There's a, a heartache that comes to those that are covetous. It says, but they that will be rich. In other words, they have a desire for riches and at any cost, that's their controlling factor, fall into temptation and a snare and in many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, many a person has ruined their life because they've done something wrong to get riches. Thinking maybe they can get away with it. Uh, because, you see, the desire for riches became a controlling factor in their life. Uh, so, so, so covetousness, uh, filthiness, uh, neither filthiness, filthiness means baseness, dishonor, uh, obscenity, uh, foolish talking, which is silly talk or buff- buffoonery. And uh, I looked up, what, what is a buffoon? Well, it's a person who amuses others by tricks, jokes, odd gestures, and postures. A person given to coarse or undignified joking as a buffoon. And jesting, which is similar, which has the idea of meaning of bad humor, or you can't be taken seriously. You know, in the old, the old days of the kings, they had what they called a court jester. And his purpose was simply to amuse and to humor everybody. But no one took him seriously. If there was, if there was, uh, you know, he, if there was battles, if there was something important, no one took the jester into those situations because he was never taken seriously. He couldn't be taken seriously. All he was given to was just amusement. Vanity. 
And he says, you know, in two different, uses two different words here as we think about these things, that number one, there not becometh, in verse 3, go back to verse 3, it says, that there not becometh as saints, as becometh saints. The word becometh means, in other words, they're not fitting. They don't fit a child of God. And then he uses the word in verse uh, um, 4, neither filthiness nor foolish jocking or jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. The word convenient means, again, it's unbecoming. It's discreditable. In other words, anything that would discredit you as a Christian. You know, these things would discredit you as a child of God. If the world saw you or, or, or knew this was a characteristic of your life, they'd say, really? So like sitting in the Sunday school class one time years ago, and this one guy had a, had a problem with chewing snot that used to be, I don't know if that still is a thing with young people. You know, when I was in school, in high school, it seemed like all the guys prided themselves in their snuff chewing. You know, and half of them, you know, some of the ones that had cars, and half of them had these streaks down the window of the car where they spit their snuff out the, you know, how disgusting. You know, and they had this little snuff, in you know, puffy lip. But anyway, this guy said, he said, uh, you know, chewing snuff's not a sin, it just ruins your testimony. Uh, okay. I wasn't teaching at the time, so I made no comment. Uh, but I thought, hmm, that's strange way to look at it. No, he says these things, are not they discredit you. Obviously, that's, that discredited him. It's not fitting. It's not becoming of a child of God. It's not becoming of a person... Whose, whose life is to be characterized by God or to walk in love or walk in light. Um, so a person whose life is characterized or patterned by these, uh, or not uh, patterned by these things, he says, is not God's child. You notice in verse, verse uh, 5 and 6, again, he says, For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God of Christ and of God, let no one deceive you with vain words, because these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. So if a person's life, is this, if this is the character or the pattern of their life, I mean, this is the things that, they, this is how they live. It demonstrates that they're not in the kingdom. And here's the reason why. Because we have the Spirit of God within directing our walk. Notice verses 9 and 10. It says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable. Now, you know, I'm not saying that a child of God can't sin or commit one of these things. It happens. But I'm talking about somebody whose life is simply, that's the way they live all the time. Without any uh, 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 evidence of change or, or a working to overcome it or guilt. 
That's what he's referring to. Of course, you know, he makes a similar statement like that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, but, so, but we have, because we have the Spirit of God within directing our walk. And, and, you know, when we receive Christ, Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God, by His Holy Spirit, takes up residence in our life. The Bible says He dwells in us. And Romans 6, 8, 16 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, that's not 8, 6, that's 8, 9. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Verse 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness that we are the children of God. In other words, he testifies, or he, he, he speaks to us, or convinces or convicts us of things that are right and things that are wrong. It's the work of the Spirit of God. That's his fruit. And so God, now think of it this way, God is in us in the person of the Spirit. And God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Romans 5, 5 again says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, that phrase there, shed abroad, means it's, it's distributed largely or it permeates. So the Spirit of God permeates us with God's love in every part. So if, if we're born again, there ought to be some evidence of the love of God dwelling in us, in our hearts, because the Spirit of God lives there. He dwells in our hearts. Not only is God love, God is also light. You know, 1 John 1, 5 says, This then is the message which you have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and him is, in him is no darkness at all. And James 1, 17 also says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness. In other words, he never changes. He never moves neither shadow of turning. So God is all light, and God, through His Spirit, who is light, dwells within. And it is He, then, that dwells within us that begins to work in our lives to direct our walk. He directs our walk. Notice again verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the word fruit means that which comes from something. It's, it's the effect or the result. So the effect of the Spirit of God dwelling in us, or the result of that is goodness, righteousness, truth. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord. So when we get saved and the Spirit of God takes up residence, there ought to be some evidence that the Spirit of God is starting to prove or speak to us or, sh- or you know, through, that, through His Word that this is not right. This is not pleasing to God. This is. Don't do this. Do this. We call it discernment. We begin to examine it. And really, it's an examination. The word proving here means to, to, to examine or to scrutinize, to test. What is pleasing to God, what is not? 
And so when we get saved, the Spirit of God begins to work in our lives to prove things, to examine things, to scrutinize things. You know, the, the Spirit of God, I see here, does three things for us. And again, it's, it's Him. And one, He scrutinizes. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. He's, he's, he's scrutinizing. You know, and, and we're talking particularly about you know, love of God being shed abroad in our life and walking in the light. Walking in the light. So he begins to scrutinize um, what is acceptable to the Lord. He also begins to separate out. You notice in verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. So you start to separate out and distinguish and, 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 and move away from those things that are, that are displeasing to the Lord. You know, th- this is a process. You know, we read in Ephesians 4 that, that you begin to put off the old man and put on the new man. And here we see it's the work of the Spirit that does that. As we renew our minds day by day, Ephesians 4.23 says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know, as we spend time in God's Word, listen to the preaching of God's Word and teaching God's Word, we, we, we get our minds renewed, and, we, and, and, and the Spirit of God uses those things, His Word then, to begin to scrutinize and separate out. You know, this thing in my life, I don't think is pleasing to the Lord, according to the Word of God. So I'll... I want to I stop that, but I want to do this. So separate out. And then we, I see a third thing here, and that is censure. Or that means to disapprove, strongly disapprove. Verse 12 and 13 says, For it is shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Notice again, they're made manifest by the light. Who is the light? God is light. And God dwells in us by His Spirit. So the Spirit of God is, is the light that's in us that gives us the ability to discern. And He begins to reprove. He censures. He's going to censure. The, that He's going to tell us that there are things that are not pleasing to God. And he's going to speak reprovingly of. There are no preacher. He's still living. He's not pastoring anymore. I'm trying to remember his name. Don Green. Lansing, Michigan. And he said, 75% of this book is against you. You wonder why people don't like to read it? Because it will censure you. It reproves us. It reproves us. It shows us where we're wrong. It also encourages us where we're right. But it does. You know, the truth is, is, is uh, uh, no respecter of persons. It really doesn't care about feelings. And it, it reproves us. It censures us uh, in our conduct. And so, so the Spirit, and, and, and when we get saved, the Spirit of God dwells in us, takes up residence in our life, he begins to censure those things that are disapproving to God. I remember hearing about <clears throat> Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a missionary to, I think, China. Some people say he had some odd ways, but Watchman Nee told a story one time of 
going up in a mountain and witnessing this guy that was known for his drink. And, uh, and he spent some time with him and led the man to the Lord. And sometime later, he went back. And you know, he, knew he, was, he knew he drank. And uh, he went back to visit him. And this man told him this. He said, uh, he said, after you left the next day, I got my bottle. And I opened it. But he said, boss resident said no. Boss residence, that's how he described God working in his life, that the boss residence who took, God who took up residence of life said, no, don't drink this anymore. You see, the Spirit of God will begin to tell us, no, no. And there may be other things that he may say, yes. But he will scrutinize. And, and all these things, again, these things are made manifest or revealed to us by the Spirit of God. Notice again, notice again verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Now, so God reveals these things to us by the light of his word, and by the spirit of God, or the light of God that dwells within us. Uh, and so uh, uh, it is him that works in our life to reveal these things to us. Go to, go to um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> Now here we're talking about more about not necessarily things that he disproves of, or th- but more about things that God has prepared for us. Well, the things that God has done for us and will do for us. Uh, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For well, the Spirit searcheth, so there's the scrutiny, or the scrutinizing or the examination. The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. What man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even though the things of God knoweth no man? So the natural man cannot understand, but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And, of course, the idea there is comparing Scripture with Scripture. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And, again, the, the word spiritually discerned here means they're, they're spiritually investigated. They're investigated by the Spirit of God that dwells within us. Searched out. You know, God wants us to search out his truth by his spirit, under the direction of the spirit of God. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So it's the spirit of God that makes manifest or reveals to us the things that are pleasing to the Lord. 
but we have to allow him. We have to allow him. Look at chapter 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And then chapter 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine where there's excess, but be filled. And the word filled here means to be controlled or to be led by. And that's something we have to allow him to do. So filled with the Spirit. So, you know, God will reveal these things to us by his Spirit if we allow him. If we allow him. You know, he said we can grieve him and grieve not. He says don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He, 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 he challenges the, 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 the believers at Ephesus, don't, don't grieve the Spirit of God. In other words, don't push him away. Don't tell him no. He's, he's doing your examining for you. He's leading you in the way of righteousness. He's leading you in the way of light. And away from the, the way of darkness, he's leading you to walk in love. So don't grieve him. And of course, chapter 5, verse 18, he commands us or instructs us to be filled with the Spirit. Or allow him to lead us or to control us. You know, and again, think about it, the fruit of the Spirit. You want to be a person who doesn't break the commandments? Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The first one is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. If you want to be a person that is uh, above reproach and doesn't uh, break the law of God, allow the Spirit of God full control in your life at all times. Now, I have to be honest with you. There's never been a person like that other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Unfortunately. But, you know, the measure that the Spirit bears fruit in our life is by the measure with which we yield to Him. You know, this is why some people grow faster than others in their Christian life. It's because some people yield more than others. It's a matter of yielding. It's not a matter of intellect. It's simply a matter of yielding. Of yielding. You know, when when we talk about being led of the Spirit, it's not an issue of do you have the Spirit if you're saved. It's how much of you does the Spirit have. It's sort of like somebody has illustrated it with a glass. You know, the glass can be half empty. Of course, we had full, too. Depends how you look at it. 
Or, you know, it could be full. The more full you are of the Spirit, the more control He has of you. And again, it's the Spirit that examines our life and directs our life and our thoughts and our actions. And so we must be yielded to the Spirit. It's important that we allow Him to lead us. If we want to walk in a way that pleases the Lord, to prove what is acceptable to God. If we, let me say it this way, if we even want to know. If we want to know, we have to be willing to do it. You know, as I was saying this morning, that those who, you know, when Romans talks about it, they knew God, yet they glorified him not. It was a deliberate rejection. They weren't willing to do, act on what they knew. Look at John chapter 7. <clears throat> John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 17. Verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So the key here is, if any man will do, has a willingness to do what the Lord says, Jesus said he'll know. He'll know. Of the doctrine. But there has to be a willingness to do it. Why didn't the Pharisees know? I mean, they heard, at least with the ear, the the ear you see. But why didn't they know? Because they weren't willing to do it. They weren't willing to receive the Lord for who he was. Because it threatened their comfort zone. Just like many today, as we read this morning, Richard Dawkins, he, he doesn't want to believe in moral absolutism. It threatens his comfort zone. He is willing to go there, so he will not receive the truth. But see, you and I, you know, we have the Spirit of God. He's the one that can direct our walk to make it pleasing to the Lord. But he will examine everything in the light of God's word. And he'll lead us by his word. So how is your walk? Is it being directed by the spirit? You know, is God working in your life? Is his, his spirit you know, convincing you of things that are right and convicting you of things that are not right? He does both. He bears witness. He bears witness of things that are wrong. He also bears witness of things that are right. Or are you grieving him, pushing him away? Sometimes I'm afraid that what we do is, well, we like the Lord in this part of our life, but we don't like him in this part. That's my personal zone. God wants to be personal with us. He wants to help us 
in our personal zones. And God is good and has his desire is what's best for our life. So don't grieve him. Yield to him. Allow him to work in your life and direct your walk that it might be pleasing to him. Let's pray.